I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. We begin today's show with another Ted Cruz disappointment. He made a 180-degree flip and is apparently going to join the establishment media in supporting the JCPA media cartel bill. It's truly an appalling move that will only serve one of the worst industries in the world, and I beg the question, why? Why would Cruz do this? I try to explain it all in the opening. Next, we take on the Fed's decision to raise interest rates another 75 basis points. This is exactly what everyone expected, and it probably won't reduce inflation, so why bother? We explore that as well. We touch on quite a bit more in the opening, especially an update on the man who allegedly killed a maggot with his car, a MAGA Republican, because he was allegedly an extremist of some kind. He is now out on bond. Terrific. Our guest today is Larry Elder. Larry Elder was, of course, uh, my first boss in the conservative movement, and uh, I interned for him when I was just coming out of high school and into college a little bit, and his new movie, Uncle Tom 2, is sensational, and you should all watch it. We explore the true history of black America with truly one of the right's most agile minds, Larry himself. All right, all that in the show. Let's get into it. Not only no pleasure, it makes me very upset to report this, but uh, Senator Ted Cruz has somehow decided that he's going to join the Democrats, Amy Klobuchar in particular, and support the media cartel censorship bill known as the JCPA. And they have teamed together to cut a backroom deal. Uh, the details are it's somewhat murky. and the But now the conservative icon, Ted Cruz, has now gone against the base and he's joined the political and media establishments to push this bill through that will make my life and those of you who like Breitbart and like uh, what Breitbart stands for will make our lives immeasurably more difficult if this thing becomes law. And Cruz also caving sends a signal that maybe they might pull in John Kennedy, Louisiana, and a couple other people who are not on the hardcore side of the Republican Party. And this is a, a terrible news. It's terrible news. If it's true, and there'll be a markup today um, that we will pay close attention to. Breitbart was a chance Cruz changes not mind, but we're told he's you know 95% plus in on this thing. And um, it's uh, somewhat ironic because Cruz three weeks ago proposed an amendment that exposed the, the bill itself as about censorship and not about what its supporters are mostly maintaining, which is that it's about preserving and sustaining local news. Um, reading between the lines now, we can see that it's not about that. It's about uh, creating criteria for the media establishment and the tech establishment to exclude anti-establishment outlets from thriving online. Seems to be the main crux of the vote, but it seems like the two senators of the group who might have the most apparent and open presidential ambitions have come together and have made the bill now, which I've referred to as a zombie bill because it's popping back up over and over again, uh, has made it almost an inevitability at this point. So uh, a lot of uh, a fire drill, so to speak, Breitbart Newsroom yesterday. And frankly, most people were shocked and, and incredibly disappointed that uh, there's always a 
uh, there's always a chance that some Republicans can go south on you on a bill that has got this sort of weird push where there's so much money floating around on the right side of the aisle to try to buy support for this. And people who you would normally expect to not like it uh, have been uh, purchased, literally purchased. And a lot of people who I like and trust on the media have all been co-opted with lots of uh, a pretty clever, but, you know, maybe not that clever, but a, a very expensive effort to try to buy support for this bill. I, I had no idea Cruz was going to come in and he was going to be the bad guy here. And they're all bad guys in this thing because this is what the bill is about. It's about paying the bad guys so that the bad guys all negotiate amongst themselves and create a cool kids club which is another way to put the media cartel um, that will uh, discriminate against outlets like Breitbart and alternative media outlets. And anyone who thinks it's not the case does not understand the nature of the bill. But all the bad guys get rewarded here and the rich will get richer. And you will have fewer options in terms of how you see your news. And in particular, if you start from a place like a Google or a Facebook or et cetera, um, then you are certainly going to see massive suppression of alternative media outlets and a big boost for the corporate media who already have a huge advantage because of um, laws that are, are, are already there on the books. So a new amendment between Klobuchar and Cruz is uh, apparently going to be, uh, all the details are going to be made clear today. Um, but recall three weeks ago that Cruz put out this amendment saying that you can only negotiate when you form these cartels uh, of media outlets. When they're negotiating with big tech, they can negotiate a, a rate so that tech can syndicate their content or promote their content. And it was purely about rate and not about what type of content is there or whether or not the outlet has a right to be included in any deal. And in this, we learned that Klobuchar, of course, shut it down, the Cruz Amendment, which I praised three weeks ago, uh, revealing that this was not about small town media. It was about tech's ability to censor. And I say that because originally the, uh, the, the deal, and as it will be today, as far as we know, will allow for the cartels to get censored. If they have a member in it that is not savory for things like misinformation, uh, trustworthiness, extremism, conspiracy, whether or not they're experts. You guys might have noticed that there are some people who kind of take the line of the experts and some who don't always. Breitbart uh, perhaps is a group that is skeptical of the experts sometimes. And so now you get the establishment outlets. They will be negotiating with the anti-establishment outlets. I'm sorry, they'll be negotiating with the big tech outlets and they can exclude the anti-establishment. So that means we can be pushed out of the cartel, people like Breitbart, people who get accused of misinformation because we put out, let's say, information on the Hunter Biden laptop. We can get accused of extremism because some of our people like Donald Trump. We can get accused of conspiracy because we think things like the Hunter Biden laptop are real, the New World Order is real, that there's a great reset happening. Anything that we've been reporting is totally accurate, but gets called conspiracy because people don't like that it's true. And now those criteria can be an excuse for big tech to uh, uh, the, make it so that we don't get funding 
that is going to go to establishment outlets. So there can be an arbitration process now, but in this arbitration process, do we even want that? So we can go to arbitration with big tech. How do you think that's going to go? So we get excluded from the cartel. And so we go, or we form our own new cartel to negotiate. Okay. Let's say Breitbart and I don't know, whatever the, the Federalists, let's say. And so we go to arbitration with Google, Facebook, whatever it is. So now we, Breitbart, a relatively small operation, is going to be in arbitration with Google, who's got an infinite access to lawyers, is going to have an infinite access to data. And once we do this, we're going to be opening up all of our data, which Google already knows anyway, to uh, more people are going to have access to it. And we will run out of resources and they will not. And it can be a prolonged process. So it's going to be incredibly expensive, incredibly time consuming, and will expose our data to competitors. Local news outlets will have the same problem. And the whole excuse for doing this bill is that local news outlets are, are supposed to benefit from it for because they can go to arbitration with Google so that Google will pay them to have their content. But what's going to happen, Google's going to crush these outlets, crush them. It won't benefit them at all because local news outlets don't have uh, any extra budget to sustain some sort of a prolonged, protracted battle with Google, uh, for example, over rates, over content, what type of content. And then all of their information is going to get exposed, which might not help them. And it might uh, aid their competitors as well. So Cruz's line, or at least people around Cruz, Cruz, of course, did not respond to comment for Breitbart. We asked a lot. Too inconvenient, I suppose. I hope he does respond to us today. Hope so. But disappointing. Didn't reply to us. Um, but the, the his argument is that Big Tech hates this. Big Tech is totally fine with us. I've seen no evidence Big Tech hates it. The establishment media loves it. And the anti-establishment media, if they support it, it's because they're either getting bought off or they're getting rolled. Would you guys like to see a lot of my time spent? Uh, the, it's a distracted instead of reporting the news for you guys. And instead of having a budget to hire new reporters, to get the bottom of stuff, I'm going to be uh, spending a bunch of my life uh, in arbitration with Google over whether or not putting out stuff like the Hunter Biden laptop is misinformation. And maybe I could join a cartel with... Um, bunch of establishment outlets. Now, one thing that's interesting is that the Murdoch publications, I think, are supportive of the bill because they know that it will absolutely crush anti-establishment outlets. And so this is not helpful. So you're not going to see a lot of pressure from Fox against this bill. Now, maybe in an individual show with individual personality, you might hear something negative about it, but they're not, you're not getting a big push on this because it isn't an existential threat to their business. But uh, yes, absolutely, what you're hearing is true. The uh, senators who want to become president, Klobuchar and Cruz, came together, somehow cut a deal that will make it uh, much more difficult on local media, much more difficult on anti-establishment media, and make life much easier for establishment news to grow and to negotiate, collude with Google on rules and other big tech providers, big tech uh, platforms.
to decide who gets paid and who doesn't. Terrible, terrible. All the bad guys will benefit. Alan Bakari wrote an analysis of this. Matt Boyle is the news item, lead story by Brit News, and uh, he'll be here later to talk about it. Um, Alan Bakari's The End of His Peace is a must-read. Here's the last few paragraphs. Well, the remedy for a news media company, what's the remedy for a news media company excluded from the cartel? Well, it can sue in federal district court to be included. Doing so will cost hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and expose all kinds of confidential and proprietary data to one's competitors. Yep, exactly. It goes on, can't be overstated. The built-in defense to an excluded news media company to pursuing such a remedy, assuming for an instant, it has the resources to even entertain doing so. After all, the whole alleged purpose of the JCPA is to help financially crippled local news. It's sophistry to think that these financially crippled local news outlets would have the requisite money and resources to mount such fights. Exactly as I said. It's for these reasons that Senator Cruz's actions represent such a betrayal. He and Senator Klobuchar both have presidential ambitions, and they're on full display here. Both will walk away from the JCPA table trumpeting the mantle by partisanship to push their own personal agendas. However, Main Street Americans will be left behind as usual with even fewer resources to turn to for news that is controlled by the big tech censors. In fact, news media will only become more beholden to big tech with JCPA passes. All right, the money. Wild disappointment. Wild disappointment. You can read all of it from Peter Breitbart News. Um, for now, for now, I'm being a little tongue in cheek. We'll, 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 we'll be okay. We'll be okay. But I just, it's a heartbreaking because this just allows for a new establishment, cool kids club, to get created, where people who have the same worldview can all negotiate amongst themselves, to the exclusion of the alternatives. And you would think that the Republicans would get the picture on this. Extremely vocal supporters, uh, or I guess opponents of the bill, are people like Tom Cotton, people like Mike Lee, Josh Hawley, a lot of smart people. And um, so why is Cruz break from it? it it's got to be either someone got them financially or it's a presidential thing. Really upsetting stuff. So anyway, read it all Breitbart News, and we'll be tracking it today. But I will tell you, the comments are pretty savage against uh, Senator Cruz. I was personally disappointed, but a lot of people in the comments are clearly not disappointed. A lot of I told you so. A lot of I told you so. Though I did enjoy the comment that suggested this could be the subject of our next Breitbart movie, Following My Son Hunter, about Ted Cruz's life. That would work. It would work. He'd be an interesting subject matter. Tell you that. Um, wow, that's an intense one. Ted's dead to me now. That's a little much. Well, I mean, figuratively speaking, figuratively, not literally, absolutely not. So maybe maybe someone gets to him between now and later today, but a, a, a massive distraction that this can we need to continue to do this over and over and over again. Because why? It appears because a couple of people have presidential ambitions and they want to take an angle that they think will give them perhaps the most favorable media coverage at some point down the road. 
So I think it hurts local news to recap. It definitely hurts anti-establishment news. It definitely helps establishment news. And then the only debate is whether or not big tech prefers this. I don't think they care at all. This would be a drop in the bucket for them in terms of time and money and resources if they have to pay a few outlets for their content. And I think it allows them to control what is on their platforms and to control the media landscape, which is really a massive goal for them. Tons of uh, other news and some stuff breaking uh, yesterday that I thought was a really big deal. The New York Attorney General Letitia James sued Donald Trump and his children for alleged fraud. Even Bill Barr called this a political hit job. Uh, I think Matt Gates had a line that this is the longest witch hunt ever. Um, the You'd be shocked to know that MSNBC, they think there's a real good case here. Uh, here's basically the gist of it, and I'm not an attorney, and I tend to, my eyes uh, roll deep in the back of my skull whenever I see another effort to witch hunt Donald Trump. Here is the gist of it. The gist appears to be that Trump had misrepresented the size of his wealth, and by misrepresenting the size of his wealth as well as his children, he was able to secure larger and more favorable loans, and then those loans he was able to use to buy more stuff and accumulate more um, more property, power, etc. So, and that's some level of fraud. Uh, this is, again, I mentioned this on yesterday's show. Most days, I'm very relieved I'm not an attorney. Uh, yesterday was certainly one of them. So I could outsource some of the stuff to the good folks at Breitbart. But this is uh, Letitia James, Democrat, I think has got broader ambitions. And this is where she's spending her time because New York, I guess, is out of problems other than a, a bad orange man in Florida. That's her main focus right now. But the um, um, but the, the the they had manipulated the values of their properties, insurance policies, and I'm sorry, their properties in order to get better rates and loans, insurance policies, and taxes. So either higher or lower, depending on the situation, in order to it just seems like straightforward stuff that people do all the time. Maybe they did it on a higher scale. But it just looks like the witch hunt, the anti-Trump, it's anti-Trump people who are all behind this. We know that they're anti-Trump. And we know that they want to stop Trump, stop the bad orange man. And they also want to send a signal that the number one crime you can commit in the United States of America right now is to be Donald Trump or one of his progeny. That is the worst thing you can be. So... I have no doubt that what they're alleging took place to a degree. I, I just don't know how often it happens. Does it happen with um, 90% of the billionaires in New York or 100%? It's going to be one or the other. And why Trump is getting singled out, we all know that. We all know the answer to that. The question is, though, is that if you violate the letter, the, the, the letter of the law, um, does it make a difference? And I think this is part of the angle that Biden's going to try to exploit with his 87,000 new IRS agents is not that it's fair or will be applied fairly. It's that there's uh, nearly every every person with any means um, does try to do their best to try to use the tax code to their advantage and make it work for them. So if you really audit and police everyone to a super high level, I mean, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. Is the spirit of it. 
And I think this is the same thing here. Just if you just keep investigating, investigating, investigating Trump, you're going to find something. Um, and then they're not going to do this for people who are super low income because there's no yield for them. It would be a lot of time spent and there'll be no resources they'll, they'll recoup even if they succeed. All right, the alleged murderer of a Republican extremist has been released on bail. One of the shocking stories of the year, Shannon Brandt, 41-year-old, accused of murdering an 18-year-old named Kaylor Ellingson, talked about yesterday. He murdered him for being a supposed Republican extremist. As far as we know, this is exactly what it sounds. A guy who's consumed way too much demonic Joe Biden rhetoric, way too much Tim Ryan, um, we need to kill MAGA, uh, way too much Maisie Hirono that the uh, Supreme Court has created a literal call to arms against conservatives. Way too much MSNBC. There's a civil war going on in this country and murdered a guy who's 18 years old because he thought he was a MAGA extremist. It's the, if this was, I mean, I just can't help but think about all these heroes of the left of the last few years how there'd be riots over so much less, be protests over so much less than what was done to Kaylor Ellingson. And in North Dakota, amazing, that's where it was. But anyway, so we had heard that Shannon Brandt had a $50,000 bond, that's it, for murder. And uh, Breitbart broke exclusively, because he called the jail, that uh, he posted it and he was released. It's interesting because when we call, it's funny how journalism works. When we call police stations and stuff, sometimes they've got their people on lockdown and uh, under lock and key, and they, they don't really want to talk to us. Even if the rank and file cops, people might be answering the phone, might be supportive, and might want information out there. They kind of don't want the headache, and they will kind of push us around and not answer our questions. But I asked Joel Pollack, I said, oh, what's going on with uh, Shannon Brandt? Is he out in the street? And Joel said, I don't know. And then Joel was able to look up online and say, well, the, the bond was only $50,000. And I said, well, was, was he released? And Joel said, that's a good question. And I said, can you call the jail? And he said, yes, I can. And right away they told him, oh, yeah, he's out. So we broke that exclusively, <laughs> which is, I mean, darkly funny. Darkly, we just called the jail and they told us. So criminal vehicular homicide leaving the scene of a crash involving a death is what he's charged with. 50,000 out in the street. She's walking around now. So those of you in the Stutzman County of North Dakota, uh, uh, keep an eye out. Because there's an alleged maniac amongst you. Especially, uh, and put your MAGA hat down. He looks like an incredibly angry individual. And incredibly white, by the way. Just to note that. Um... So the Fed had their big meeting. We'll talk to John Carney about this later in the broadcast. And the uh, the Fed's got one move, raise interest rates. And the Fed, which has been way, way behind the curve over the last um, uh, the, the, over the last year or two, uh, they have not done uh, very much at all in order to, they have not done very much at all to uh, make life easier for Americans, they got it wrong in terms of suggesting that rates will, uh, they, they said, well, within the last year, um, they had suggested that not only was inflation transitory, 
that it will fall low, like to one or two percent rate, that we're not likely to see a recession, that they probably won't be necessary to raise rates until at least 2024. And we could be seeing low rates for a long time. Recall that that's all within the last year Fed, the Fed has had that position. And now we're at historic levels of inflation. So the Fed, which is one job, keep an eye on the stuff, drop the ball on it. So then the question was whether or not um, they were going to raise rates, um, whether or not they're going to raise rates 50 basis points, 75, 100. Uh, the, the 100 would have been totally historic. 75 is already a lot. And then but whether or not they're going to indicate whether what they intend to do for the next meeting, which I think is in November. So what we learned is they raised at 75 basis points, which is exactly what was predicted. So they're doing exactly what everyone thought they would do. And they indicated they'll probably raise it one more time at least. And then maybe after that, they might see how it's how it's working over a longer time horizon. But we have this weird thing, which is new, and it is a challenge, which is that we've got an incredibly low unemployment rate, and we've also got a uh, we've got a, the high inflation because we're in the stagflation moment. So typically, we, we've a historically uh, relative to the historical average, we've got a very low unemployment rate. But the problem is, is the cost of living is ex, is exploding past wages. So which again, I would submit is part of the Great Reset globalist goals, is this squeezes the lower, but in particular working and middle classes, and the upper classes doing, doing fine, lower class sort of irrelevant to them. So how do you manage it? The best thing they could do is try to jack up unemployment a little bit um, by raising the interest rates a little bit, but the 75% basis point hike, which was telegraphed weeks ago, everyone thought they would do it. I don't know if that's going to lower inflation. And if it doesn't, then I don't know what their next move is. And this is the whole thing about the Fed is they have so little options, so few options. It's basically how much they raise the rates and how much they telegraph where the rates are going to go in the future. That's really all they do. So we talk about the Fed quite a bit and a lot of you get very bored by it. Me too some days. Though more or less so now because of this unique moment we're in where their, their move is to try to actually raise an employment rate, I guess, to try to slow inflation. It's already a tough prospect. Um, but inflation's running too high. That's their main goal. And they hope this is going to slow it down. But what is that going to mean? It's going to mean that, you know, uh, the mortgage rate's going to be very high. If you get a new car, it's going to be higher rates to finance it. And if that happens, then what does that do to the rest of the economy? I mean, if you're buying a house, for example, you have to get a smaller house. And if you get a, the house the size you want, then you're going to be spending a lot more in interest, which means you're going to have less money for other stuff. So, and that could lower prices conceivably. So that could lower inflation, but also it's still going to make not li- it's not going to make life much easier for Americans. I think overall, I think they're a very tough spot. It's one where they've gotten so much wrong. So they're getting roasted a lot. The fed is and for good reason. Um, but they've got so few options in terms of what they can do because they don't have that many tools and they bear a lot of responsibility, but a lot of the responsibility is really, you got to admit it. It's on, it's on big Joey in the Biden administration. 
So uh, GDP has been downgraded. Unemployment is expected to go up from this, as noted. Elizabeth Warren's upset that the rate hikes were extreme, even though everyone knew this exactly what was going to happen. So we will uh, give you details. John Carney joins us later in the broadcast. So um, that is... Uh, that, that's that's what's going on. If you have any thoughts, I, I would love to hear it. 866-95-PATRIOT if you care about such things. Um, and other than that, I would recommend to you, if you go to Breitbart News, a few other big items that are, are worth touching upon. Um, the Hispanics approve a Republican governor's transporting illegal aliens to sanctuary cities. So any of you think it's a race thing, it's not. They've barely even tried that argument. They're trying to make it seem like kidnapping or illegal. But people are getting it that the, the, the irony of this Texas sheriff, for example, investigating whether or not a Florida is allowed to ship out the migrants of the Texas, that, 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 that people in, um, the, you know, that already been shipped to Florida, essentially. It's just not going to stand up to any sort of scrutiny. So there's been 440,000 at least migrants have been bused from Texas to sanctuary cities since April. I'm sorry. There's been Texas bust 11,000, but there's been a 440,000 total arrivals in sanctuary cities that we know of. And again, this stuff is really hard to track, but we're closing on a half a million migrants have made it sanctuary cities over the last um, a few months. So any outrage you're seeing is just totally... Uh, political. A lot of coverage of the UN. Vladimir Putin giving a crazy speech suggesting that he could wage nuclear war. We talked about that briefly in yesterday's show is happening. So I won't uh, uh, belabor it too much. Um, some, oh, uh, back on the immigration for a second. Some illegal aliens who were deported from Martha's Vineyard actually want to go back. They thought it was a beautiful island. Even though left-wing attorneys are claiming they've been traumatized. Even though most of them wanted to go to begin with, some want to go back. Pretty fun. lot of my career to Larry Elder and a lot of people are like me in that regard. He really has touched a lot of important lives from Candace Owens to Ben Shapiro, so many others. And he was the person who took a chance on me, gave me an internship when I was just coming out of high school. And that I think, as I note uh, so often, was probably the resume item that got me my job with Andy Breitbart and set me on the path that, that I am uh, on now. So I owe Larry so much. But he's also not just a good guy and a smart guy, but he is so fast. And I love fast. Fast is very impressive to me and enjoyable to listen to. His new documentary, Uncle Tom 2, is terrific. And I get into the content of it and the style of it and plus uh, why it is necessary that we have an Uncle Tom documentary and Uncle Tom 2 and probably an Uncle Tom uh, 3, God willing. So let's hear from Larry Elder, the sage from South Central right now. 
My first question when I knew you were going to come on to talk about the film, and congrats on it, by the way, was why did you feel it necessary to do a second Uncle Tom documentary? We talked about the first one, that conversation's online. And after watching it, it's so clear that you need Uncle Tom 2, you need Uncle Tom 3. There's so much information, and I feel like I'm so educated now on black America, on topics that I just it never crossed my mind. So it's an amazing well, thing, and I'm sure this was in the back of your head uh, when you took this on. It was, and thank you so much for, for having watched it. Uh, look, the first one had to do with the post-slavery experience of black America. Uh, and in the midst of KKK, lynchings, as you know, and uh, Jim Crow, black people still kept moving forward. In 1940, 87% of blacks lived below the poverty line. 20 years later, 1960, that number had reduced to 47%. That's a 40-point drop in 20 years, Alex. And that is the greatest 20-year period of economic expansion in the history of America for black people. Why? It was before the Civil Rights Act of 64, 65, before uh, most of the uh, Supreme Court decisions, uh, Brown versus Board of Education wasn't until 1954. They kept moving forward because of strong families. It was rare for a black kid to be born to a mother and father who were unmarried. Uh, even during slavery, a black child was, was more likely to be born under a roof with his biological mother and biolo biological father than today. Another reason black people kept moving forward was a strong, strong belief uh, in the values of America. Everybody knew that America was not living up to its ideals. But if you look at the writings of people like Booker T. Washington and Frederick Douglass, they were riddled with praise for American ideals and American principles. The other reason they kept moving forward is, of course, a strong belief in God, Judeo-Christian values yes. uh, that enable black people to survive slavery and to keep believing in, in the future and believing uh, in the goodness of man. And finally, belief in entrepreneurship. Now, Uncle Tom, too, Alex, talks about what's happened to the civil rights movement since then, the infiltration of communists, of socialists, of collectivists, to the point now where fast forward, you have an organization that is perceived credibly called Black Lives Matter. Even Barack Obama embraced it. What are their principles? Look at their website. They attack the nuclear intact family. The people that founded it are self-described trained Marxists, trained, as you saw in the film, by a guy named Eric Mann, who was a, yes. a, a Marxist, a socialist. Uh, and they uh, embraced Karl Marx, who was an atheist, who, who, who did not believe in capitalism, let alone entrepreneurship. Right. And so you look at the principles that made black people still survive horrific conditions, embrace of family, embrace of God, embrace of entrepreneurship, and in America, and you have an organization that refers to America as systemically racist and is atheist. And so this is where we are now, and it's pit Americans against Americans, not just conservative blacks against liberal blacks, but white people against white people. There are those white people that are guilty as hell, and there are those that don't embrace the guilt, and those who are, are guilty call the other ones racist. So, and, and as you saw in the film, there was a video from a KGB defector uh, yes. who said that they could never have realized the success of their recognition that the nerve center of America was race relations. And they decided to infiltrate the civil rights movement, pit Americans against Americans, and they have succeeded in ways that they never thought possible. Yes, Yuri Bezmanov, great footage of him in there as well. Larry, I have so much to talk to you about in terms of the content, because the content is so good, and you've already kind of alluded to some of the things I want to get to. But I want to talk a couple of things stylistically. You guys made some really interesting choices with the film. Uh, two of my favorite parts were amazing soundtrack, by the way. You don't have to comment on that. It was just a really, really terrific job, whoever did that. And you guys unearthed so much archival footage of uh, particularly black America, but it was just stunning scenes, and I know this was the Attention, not all of them of a miserable downtrodden people who were oppressed every second of their lives by white America the way we're kind of told life was like for black America 
Well, that's right. Uh, the uh, the composer is named Criswell. He's the one that did the first one, too. He's, he's a brilliant composer. And we've uncovered all sorts of archival footage to show that despite all the problems we talked about, black people were primarily family-oriented and were optimistic. Uh, and, yes. you know, last year I was watching the Super Bowl, and there was a Citigroup commercial, Alex, where a black guy was talking about the Tulsa massacre of 1921 right, uh, right. and how these white people came and destroyed this area. Well, as you saw in Uncle Tom, too, you find out that the that whole area was rebuilt within a, a matter of a few years, A and B. It wasn't even referred to as the Black Wall Street until after it was rebuilt, and it was rebuilt without one dime of government money. And so the idea that black people were sitting around going, woe is me, woe is me, is BS. And Ken Burns even indirectly uh, corroborated that with his uh, documentary about uh, about baseball and the Negro League. I've met some of these old Negro League players, Alex. They weren't sitting around whining that they couldn't play in what we call the, the, the major leagues. Many mm-hmm. of them were making more money than many of the major league players. Satchel Page was making more money than almost any of the white players. And the Kansas City Monarchs were out, were wow. out drawing the Kansas City Athletics. It wasn't that they were sitting around saying that we, we are inferior, we're not uh, allowed to ply our trade at the major leagues. Most of them didn't feel that way at all. In fact, they had a lot of integrated games, not integrated at the same time, but they played a lot of, of all-stars in the major leagues, what we call the major leagues, and they beat them two out of three times. They knew they were as good, if not better. So they weren't sitting around whining. They were staying at the best hotels, best restaurants driving fancy cars, and again, making more money than many of their counterparts were in the modern major leagues. So the idea that black people were sitting around going, oh, woe is me, woe is me, is BS. That's the Cliff Notes version of race relations in America. There was slavery, then there was Jim Crow, yes. then there was the Civil Rights Movement, and there was one shining moment where we kind of thought that we were going to be okay, but I'm sorry, we're still systemically racist. And it's BS. It seems like the thesis of the film, and tell me if I'm wrong, is slavery and Jim Crow are used as an excuse for dysfunction in the black community right now. Absolutely. Uh, and slavery and Jim Crow are, are the excuse for a lot of white liberals to enact policies that have hurt the very people that they claim to hear, hear about. My friend, the late uh, Walter Williams, once wrote a column, Alex, where he issued a proclamation of pardon for white people so they would stop doing things that were antithetical to the best interests of black people, most notably the welfare state, race-based preferences, set-asides, affirmative action. You look at the kids that have got into college with substantially less credentials than their white counterparts, uh, and they flunk out at much higher rates. And they often don't go to a lesser competitive school. They just don't go at all, which costs the taxpayers a great deal of money, the GDP a great deal of money, uh, and then the welfare state. In 1965, 25% of black kids entered the world without a father married to the mother. Now that number is 70%. You can't tell me America is more racist today than it was in 1965. What have we done? In the mid-60s, we launched a so-called war on poverty. Since then, Alex, we spent about $22 trillion. And in my opinion, women uh, have been incentivized to marry the government. And men have been incentivized to abandon their financial and moral responsibility. And that's not just affecting the black community. Now 25% of white kids are born outside of wedlock. 40% of all American kids are now born outside of wedlock, something that would not be possible if it weren't for our subsidization of slovenly behavior. And it seems like the people who perhaps are benefiting the most, you've already touched on this group. Uh, This is the group of people that I grew up around and the people I studied with at college. It's white liberals, white socialists in particular, are really using black Americans and brown Americans and LGBT Americans, but uh, especially for the sake of this film, black Americans, uh, to see their vision through of a communist socialist society where America is undermined. It's chilling when you get to this conclusion, but this really does seem like where the film heads. That's right. And a lot of people are shocked that the only black co-founder of the NAACP was W.B. Du Bois because they needed to have a black face. But these were founded by socialists. 
and they had all sorts of other agendas, not, not you know, abortion being one of them, attacking capitalism being another one. Uh, and you look at all these left wing people, they have all these other issues, they have nothing whatever to do uh, with the black struggle in America. I mean, what does communism have to do with the black struggle? What does atheism have to do with the black struggle? Uh, none of these things do. It's a very assault yeah. on what made black people survive and thrive after slavery. You know, it's interesting because I'm always trying to find the humor in things, I think partially because I spend so much time in this world, the world of ideas, and there's so much to not be optimistic about uh, that I have always made fun a little bit of how Black Lives Matter became about black trans lives and like why how did the trans get lumped in with blacks there actually was slavery in Jim Crow in this country Larry so so it's like but now all of a sudden because you decide you were trans like three weeks ago you're now uh, in the same class of people as people whose ancestors literally were enslaved it seemed kind of far-fetched to me but then I realized it's not a joke watch this movie this is all about the communist Marxist plan and it was straight from Saul Linsky and you quote Alinsky in it it's not enough mm -hmm. to have people rally around one specific idea it has to be multiple ideas so that you can get sympathetic people into your left-wing coalition is truly chilling stuff that you've unearthed absolutely and you look at the debate between uh, Booker T Washington and WB Du Bois Du Bois went to Harvard he was born free yes. and he was born wealthy Booker T Washington was born a slave and his whole agenda was look Figure out something that you can do to add value to the community. Once you do that, you will be rewarded without regard of color. And he was considered to be um, the intellectual inferior of W.B. Du Bois, who later on became a communist and essentially renounced his American citizenship. So who was right? Who was right? There are think tanks on the left and on the right. One of them is on the left is the Brookings Institution. One on the sure. right is the American Enterprise Institute. And they disagree about everything. But they do agree about what they call the millennial success sequence. Finish high school. Don't get yeah. married until you're 20 years old. Don't have a kid before you're 20 years old. Don't have a kid before you get married, rather. Get married first. Get a job. Keep a job. Don't quit the job until you get another job. And avoid the criminal justice system. If you do that in America, you will not be poor. And as we show in Uncle Tom, too, there's no other country in the world where a black person would, be, would, better, would rather be born right. unless, of course, you're born here in America and you're taught this lie about systemic racism. We start out, Uncle Tom, too, as you know, with this seven-year-old girl walking down the street with her fists shaking, yelling and screaming mm -hmm. about racism. Right. What the hell does a seven-year-old girl know about racism? And we have these two intellectuals saying, well, this is 400 years of slavery and Jim Crow handed down, genetically passed down to her in the womb? Really? It's insulting to all the men and women who busted their tail like my dad did, who never knew his biological father, left home homeless at the age of 13, cleaned toilets, uh, two full-time jobs, and then started a little cafe. Uh, my dad was a lifelong Republican and always told us that Democrats want to give you something for nothing. When you try and get something for nothing, you almost always end up getting nothing for something. That's the American dream. That's what my dad did, and that's what a lot of black men and women did during that era. And now you're, you're attacking America as being systemically racist, and you're talking about cities like Baltimore, where there are 13 public high schools where 0% of kids can do math at grade level, where another half dozen, only 1% can. These are urban schools, Alex. The county superintendent of Baltimore is black. The city superintendent of schools is black. Right. The mayor is black. City council, all Democrat, majority black. I could go on and on and on. What are we talking about here? You're running the system and you're talking about systemic racism. It's insulting. 
and it's counterproductive, it and it's hurting It's hurting the very people that people on the left claim that they care about. Uncle Tom, too, is the movie UncleTom.com to get it. Larry Elder, the sage from South Central, is my guest, and uh, you really are a sage, Larry. You know I've thought that for a very long time, for decades. Uh, I, it, it's, well, I appreciate it, that. I do. But I have to say, as much as I liked Uncle Tom 1, I, I think Uncle, Uncle Tom 2 might actually stay with me even more. I just learned so much. And, and there's, there's certain things here that are scary, though, because I went through, I graduated college about 15 years ago, and I took upper division American history, and I did not have a radical left-wing teacher. And I was able to, we read Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois uh, side by side. And for me, obviously, mm-hmm. Booker T. Washington spoke to me. But I really had to, had to come to that conclusion on my own when it seems like the message that Du Bois put out there was is so detrimental to the work ethic that is the optimism that from which almost all success comes in this country. It's such a negative viewpoint. And when you learn he was basically put up to it by white liberals, he was basically drafted by white liberals, leftists really, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be the face of the radical movement, you feel angry. You feel angry that uh, the American institutions, American academia has not told the story. Right. Well, America academia uh, has been taken over by the very people that don't want to tell the story. That's why people are misled. That's why I think Uncle Tom 2 and Uncle Tom 1 are so important and so powerful. Uh, By the way, you look at some of the reviews on IMDb, Alex. I mean, they blow me away. People saying, I never knew about this. This is eye-opening. Every American ought to see this. I think it has the potential to change race relations in this country uh, if enough people saw it, including uh, our friend Barack Obama, who, if anybody had a reason to believe that America could realize its potential if you work hard, it's Barack Obama. What does he do when he gets in here? He says racism is in America's DNA. He embraced the Black Lives Matter movement, had Al Sharpton in the White House over 70 times, talked about Ferguson, even though Ferguson was a lie. This guy ought to be ashamed of himself. I'm surprised he can leave the house in the morning with a good conscience. He knows damn well everything you and I are talking about is, is accurate. He knows that he was raised by a single mom. His father ended up going to Harvard, he had a PhD. He goes to the finest prep school in Hawaii, then goes to Occidental, then goes to Columbia, then goes to Harvard, where he becomes the president of the Harvard Law Review. And he's sitting around talking about racism is in America's DNA. The first time uh, white people were asked about whether they would vote for a black president was in the 50s. Gallup did it. Yeah. Only 38% or so said yes. Now only 4% said they would not. How can that be if racism is in America's DNA? Sure. He is a sure. racial fraud and a racial hustler who did more damage to America, in my opinion, than, than Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton combined. That's so interesting you say that. I've always uh, blamed him for so much of what's going on. It seems to shock people who don't share our worldview uh, that I do think that his the opportunity he missed to reset some things that need to be reset in this country is just one that we'll, we'll never get back. We'll never get back that chance. Absolutely. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. And he has such credibility, articulate, yes. smooth, well-educated. If this guy believes America is systemically racist, well, then it must be. And as you know, the yeah. first chance he had to, to, to set the table right was when his friend Henry Louis Skip Gates got busted briefly. Right. You know, he was a Harvard professor, goes on vacation, comes home, doesn't bring his key. He and his driver break into, break into his house, and the neighbor calls 911, which is exactly what you want your neighbor to do. White cop shows up very politely, sees this man in the house, doesn't know he belongs to it, politely asks him to come out and show ID. Instead of doing it, has an attitude, gets briefly arrested. What does Barack Obama say? He doesn't say, I told my friend Henry Louis Gates last night, what are you doing, Skip? You are a role model for crying out loud. You're a tenured professor at Harvard. And here you have all these young black men who are not complying, which is why a routine traffic stop becomes DEFCON 1, and you didn't cooperate when the job, when the cop was doing his job? No. Obama said the Cambridge police acted stupidly, and that was the foundation for the next eight years. Uh, it's, you learn so much in this film, Uncle Tom 2. I, I want to talk about a, a couple of 
instances where I really did get an education. Tell me a little bit about Eric Mann. Eric Mann was a Marxist who sought out uh, women of color, and I suspect he felt women of color were even angrier than men of color, and he specifically trained Patrice Cullors uh, and the other co-founders of Black Lives Matter. Uh, again, a socialist who does not believe in private ownership of property when it was entrepreneurship that helped black people emerge from slavery and continue to grow, again, antithetical to the best interests of the very people that people on the left claim that they care about. So tell me how, what is the relation between Marxism, which Eric Mann is all about, and he's very open in the footage you have about how white people can't push this in society. You need uh, black people to do it, even though Eric Mann is, is translucent, he's so white. Uh, and he is the one who, who trained Patrice Cullors. And what is the connection between Black Lives Matter and, and, and Marxism? Well, um, the co-founders are self-described trained Marxists who do not believe in capitalism. They want to bring down the American system as we know it. They want to bring down capitalism. They want government ownership of property, even as they're out buying mansions with the, with the money that uh, Trees Colors described as white guilt money. Again, they're, they're, they're clowns. They're counterproductive. They are destroying what made America great and using yeah, blacks uh, as, a, as, a, as a means to do so. But uh, how come so many people are getting rolled here, Larry? I know the media is a part of it, which is my obsession, and, and I'm sure you were the first to turn me on to that when I was back in high school when we first connected. But it's such a shame the story hasn't been told until now. It really is. It just feel like so many people have gotten uh, have gotten rolled by, uh, by white Marxists using well, black people to their advantage. I would put it this way. I've said that whoever said that compound interest was the greatest force in the universe, and by the way, Albert Einstein didn't say that. I, I checked it. And there's no record of him ever, ever having said it, but it sounds like something he would say. Whoever hmm. said compound interest is the greatest force in the universe never encountered white guilt. A whole bunch of white people feel really, really, really guilty about slavery. And it's interesting. You know, Queen uh, just died, and Don Lamont of CNN had on some British uh, a pundit. And Don Lamont talked about the need for reparations, yes, that we ought yes. to revisit the fact that uh, you know, we had this uh, imperial crown. And they dominated all these countries, and we need reparations because of slavery. And she reminded him that slavery could not have existed had it not been for the complicity of white chiefs who sold black slaves in mass to uh, European and Arab slavers. And secondly, we in the U.K. abolished slavery 20 years or 30 years before you guys did uh, without 600,000 lives, both sides being, being, uh, being lost. And he went, oh, well, uh, that's an interesting way of looking at it. <laughs> what a wow. What a one thing one thing that is very striking that is in the film is portraying Black Lives Matter as sort of a new religion as people even black America gets more secular now and these murals in the streets are like their stained glass windows uh, forgive me for forgetting which presenter said this but it's such a brilliant and again another chilling point can you speak to this yeah it's uh, holding people up like uh, George Floyd uh, Jacob Blake Freddie Gray uh, as martyrs as symbols of, uh, of America being systemically racist. We have a lot of cuts of Al Sharpton uh, at the funeral of George Floyd saying, you know, the reason that black people could not be what they wanted to be is because y'all had your knee on our neck. When, right. in fact, it is rare for a black person to be killed by the police, even more rare for an unarmed black person to be killed by the police, even more rare for an unarmed black person to be killed by the police for no justification. In fact, the police kill more unarmed whites every year than unarmed blacks. And test after test after test has shown, Alex, the police are more hesitant, more reluctant to use deadly force on a black person than a white person. It is a lie. And the lie is causing people to get killed. Why? Police pull back. It's called the Ferguson effect or the George Floyd effect. And the very people who are hurt the most are black people because bad guys know 
uh, that they're less likely to be arrested, less likely to be convicted, less likely to be incarcerated. And the ones they prey on are the very people living in the inner city that people on the left claim that they care about. It's hurting the country. It is a filthy, disgusting lie that America is systemically racist and the police are engaging in systemic racism against black people. I'm not defending all the actions of all cops. Obviously, there's some bad ones. You deal with it on a case-by-case basis. Just the other day, there were three Arkansas cops beating the stuffings out of a white suspect. It was a one-day story. Nobody cared. I mean, they kneeled on him. They pounded him. You're talking about three people beating the crap out of this guy. And it was a one-day story. Nobody cared. Why? Because the suspect was the wrong race. Had he been a white guy, we'd know his name. We'd know the cops. Uh, they would be splashed all over the newspapers. They'd be prosecuted. This is just such a fraud done by the Democrats in order to make sure black people are angry and pissed off. So they pull that lever to the tune of 90 or 95 percent every four years for the presidency. This is such a brilliant point, And I could do an hour on this exact topic. And Larry, the, the most annoying thing about talking to you is the time already flies. I've already gone over the time that I told you <laughs> I needed. If you guys missed Uncle Tom, too, then it's not too late. Go to UncleTom.com and watch it now. It, it moves so quickly. It's so fascinating. And I want an Uncle Tom three. I want you to do a whole curriculum on this topic because we need a massive reset in this country and I think it could perhaps benefit a lot of people black and white alike if uh, the true history of what's going on with race in this country is conveyed through your eyes Larry so congrats on this I got to ask quickly I know you're contemplating a presidential run are you there are you for sure going to do it I'm not for sure going to do it but I certainly am thinking about it I've been to Iowa now twice in the last two weeks I'm going there again in the next couple of weeks and that's kind of a rite of passage getting serious about running for for the presidency. I had a really good time running for the governorship of, of California, and I'm not trying to displace anybody. I don't feel I'm running against Donald Trump or against uh, Ron DeSantis in the event that he gets in. I'm running for the presidency if I decide to do it. I want to talk about the things you and I are talking about, the breakdown of the family, what's the breakdown of the school system, the government school system, uh, and crime hurting the very people that people in the lab purport to care about. That's what I want to talk about, and I don't think we spend, meaning the Republicans, enough time talking about those kinds of things. That is 100% factual, and uh, I look forward to seeing what you decide, Larry. And as always, um, I'll happy to share the microphone whenever you're up for it. Well, you know where to find me, Alex. Thanks, thanks a lot. God bless. God bless to you, too. Uncle Tom, too. UncleTom.com, Larry Elder Show, and Epoch TV, and The Sage from South Central. Thanks again, Larry. <laughs>today's broadcast thanks so much to producers zach jones greg evan robert marlowe helps me pick topics and all of you who have told ten thousand friends and family members about breitbart uh picked up my son hunter go to mysonhunter.com all that's very helpful and we'll talk to you tomorrow